speaking of resolutions, okay, we heard that. How many of you, are you doing well on those so far? Middle of January? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doing great. You didn't make any. Yeah. So I looked in my journal from last year, and I met about 25% of my resolutions last year. The good news is 75% of my list is already done. So, so I'm good to go. I just have to write a few more, and that's it. So, so hopefully, by God's grace, you've made some, some good ones. And by God's grace, it will give us the ability and strength to, to do those, those things. It's good to evaluate and, and uh, set those goals. So when Rich asked me to share the word with you today, uh, I prayed about it, and there was a key topic that really stuck in my mind, in my heart, that's had great impact in my life. Uh, this is a principle that was revealed to me about maybe about 10 years ago and has radically changed my Christian walk, uh, probably more so than anything else besides the gospel itself. Um, this spiritual truth has brought more victory and blessing in my life than any other principle I can think of. And I can also think of no other principle when I violated it has brought the, more, the most spiritual stagnation and the most anguish to my life. And this, the principle I'm referring to is submission to authority. And this is a broad topic. It's embedded throughout Scripture. Many different examples, many different poor examples and good examples of this. Uh, and this is why I was excited to find out that the next section in Colossians deals uh, with this topic. So today I'm going to attempt to paint a picture or background for this concept, spiritual authority, and then talk about some practical applications in Colossians 3, uh, in some verses in Colossians 3. Then, when Rich returns, he will fill in the missing pieces or reteach the whole thing, <laughs> especially concerning topics that some with much more authority than I should speak about, and you'll find out why I'm saying that. So, uh, so let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for what you've done in our lives. And I pray, Jesus, that you would allow us, as we look into your word, uh, to just be radically changed from the inside out. Uh, we pray your word would dwell in us richly, that you would allow us to live for your glory, that the things that we do in our lives, the arenas we find ourselves in, Lord, we would use uh, just our work as working unto you to bring you glory and honor. Uh, so just let your, your word go forth today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So to begin today's topic, I want to ask, what's the primary purpose of your life, of my life? Good, we've got some... The primary purpose of our lives really affects, if the answer to that question affects every aspect of who we are and what we do. And to kind of highlight this a little bit, I like to go, I like to talk about some things that shouldn't be the primary purpose of our life, to kind of bring this out a little bit. Is the primary purpose of our life to be happy? No. How about to establish a good nest egg, good retirement? No. How about personal fulfillment through education? No. How about social justice or to ease the human condition? Is it? No. no, see, because these pursuits will leave us empty and unfulfilled. 
And these are earthly pursuits and uh, really storing up treasure on earth where it will be, where moth and rust will destroy. Because our life, James 4, 13 through 14, says our life is a vapor, it's a mist. It's here, now it's gone. And earlier in that verse, it says, don't, you know, don't, don't say, you know, we're gonna, tomorrow we're going to buy and sell and do this and that and make a profit because your life is a vapor, it's so short. So those kind of pursuits won't leave us fulfilled. They'll leave us empty. So our chief end, so what is our purpose? Our, our chief end of our being, of our of being here on this earth, is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is our primary purpose. The chief end of my life is to glorify and honor and point to, to who God is. So a parallel passage to this is found in today's study, Colossians 3.17. So you can look at that. It says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's a little parallel scripture that we're talking about. This is the way to true fulfillment, living for Jesus, glorifying him. The way to true blessing true reality, true north, if you will. If we don't start from this bearing, we'll be lost in the cultural landscape around us, in the philosophies of this world, and we'll be robbed of our true purpose and true meaning. And if you look in context, look back at Colossians 2.8. It says there, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So we need to start with our, the true purpose of our life, which is to honor God. Or we'll be lost. We'll be, we'll be derailed by these philosophies around us. The world has many. They try to pump into our minds through TV, media, through education, through many different avenues. So, so why is this? Why is our, our personal fulfillment so linked with God's glory? The reason is that living to glorify God... I'm sorry, let me start over. So why is this? It's because we're created in His image. He's built, we're hardwired to worship Him and reflect Him and glorify Him. Again, look at Colossians 3.10. So go up, go skip ahead a little bit. So some of the verses we've already studied. It says, And put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. So we're made to reflect the image of Christ. We're made to glorify him. So that's the only way I'm going to find true fulfillment. See, I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I'm being renewed in the image of my creator. My life should reflect the person of Jesus. This is a great privilege and a great honor to be entrusted with the image of Christ. So I'm stamped with Christ's image. And I've been given the power through the Holy Spirit and the commission to reflect his image to a lost and dying world around me that the world might come to know him. So my fulfillment, yes, that will happen. And true joy and true blessing will happen as a byproduct of me fulfilling 
my ultimate end, my ultimate purpose. And the reason I talk about this is because the topics we're going to go into won't make any sense unless I understand that my true purpose is to bring glory to God. And the topic I'm going to be talking about, submission to authority, doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable unless I understand that my sole purpose is to bring God glory. And if I understand that God is foremost, that he is preeminent in my life, and that my life should be surrendered to his will, then submitting to authorities in my life is reasonable. It makes sense. I'll have the right attitude, the right starting point. Then I'll come to understand that honoring delegated authorities in my life will bring direct honor and glory to Jesus as my king. So I want to start from there. So, so far, we, to put this in further context, we've talked in Colossians about putting on the new man, about wearing the grace clothes rather than the grave clothes, and walking in those grace clothes is going to look different than maybe people in the world. We've talked about my purpose is to reflect God's image. We've talked about the preeminence of Christ in this book. We've talked a little bit about being aware of uh, worldly philosophies, and we've talked about being filled with the word of Christ. So the next section emphasizes some practical ways to reflect God's image in our daily lives. That is to submit to the authority structures in our lives. Because one evidence of me wearing my grace clothes will be my godly attitude towards those in authority around me. So I like the key word there is attitude. You ever hear attitude affects altitude? It's kind of a silly little saying that, that uh, points this out. So let's begin. So Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And what stands out to me is the whatever you do. Whatever you do. See, we all have certain roles and responsibilities in our sphere of influence. We fit in somewhere. All of us, in whatever we do, have jobs, have homes, have roles in the community. And within these whatever you do, there are authority structures everywhere you turn. It's, once you start kind of looking for them, it's easy to find them. And none of us as believers, none of us, are completely independent of these authority structures around us, no matter where we find ourselves. So think about the various places we conduct our lives. Think of work, our homes, our churches, and our communities. And I like how it says, and whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus giving thanks to God. So we represent the name of Christ in how we conduct ourselves in each of these places, especially as it relates to honoring those authorities around us in our lives. So wherever you find yourself, whatever your occupation, whatever your role, whatever your station in life, at this very moment, whether you're a husband, a father, a farmer, a doctor, a mother, a chef, garbage man, professional, Prisoner, single, married, son, a daughter, no matter where you find yourselves, we should live 
to honor God, to reflect his name. That's foremost. And we should do these things wherever we find ourselves with our whole heart to reflect his kingdom and his name, to, ref- to do so accurately, to reflect who he is, his kingdom, to a lost world. And so what his kingdom, God's kingdom, when I think about this, what is God's kingdom all about? Well, if you look at who God is, he's a God of order. Look at the design of nature. If things didn't work so well together, we'd have chaos and confusion and things. Look at the atom itself being held together. Um, for whatever reason, why that is, I don't know. Uh, surface tension in water. You know, because of that, everything just kind of works together. Look at nature. God is a God of order. Things fit. Things work. And unfortunately, because of sin in this world, we have certain aspects of chaos and natural disasters and things like that. But someday, that wasn't the original intention, and someday everything will be, will be perfect, will be brought together again. But he is a God of order. If you look at throughout the epistles, the letters to the churches, you also see this in, in, in a spiritual sense, that God wants our services to be done in an orderly fashion. First um, Corinthians, I believe, says. It's in there. So let's talk for a few minutes about the various forms of kingdom authority in our lives, the, where, the whatever, wherever you find yourself. So if you wouldn't mind displaying the PowerPoint image, I just have one slide. And this points out that ultimately God is our final authority. And we see that in Colossians 2.10. It says, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. So God ultimately has established himself as the ultimate authority, the final authority. No other name under heaven is given by which men might be saved. He is preeminent. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So ultimately, every authority comes under him, under his headship, his lordship. And we each have a responsibility, if anything, to submit to God directly, to submit to his will directly. So our will is the bottom, the bottom uh, rectangle there under the lordship of Christ. Ultimately, our will should be submitted directly to Jesus. But then there are other aspects of authority, which is considered delegated authority. God, for some reason, and in his infinite wisdom has decided to delegate various authorities to mankind around us in, many, in various forms. So we have in the church, we have spiritual authority. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So there we see in the church, we see authority. And what I notice about that verse is there's a sense that as we submit to those authorities around us, it brings a sense of protection, a covering over us. These leaders have been given watch over our souls, and they'll give an account. I'll give an account for how I submit and surrender to those authorities, not so much what they do. See, many times we're interested in his job, not my job, if you know what I mean. That's so easy to do. So then we see authority in government. Romans 13.1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So in governments around us. 
1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to king, to the king as the supreme authority or to governors. So again, we see that in government. We also see authority, delegated authority in the home. In the home, everyone just, I, I have three daughters um, and young, they're young, five and under, and the home can be, be very chaotic. If everyone's just doing whatever they want, including myself, home is a chaotic mess. However, God has given a prescription for how this works in the home. It says, however, uh, Ephesians 5.21 and 33 through chapter 6, verse 4, says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And in chapter 6, it goes on to say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There's also delegated authority in the workplace, which is what we'll be talking a little bit about today in verse 18 of Colossians 3. So again, we, all, we see that we all fit somewhere into this authority structure. We all in some way have to surrender our self-will to that of another, whether Christ directly or in our churches, our homes, our communities, and our, our workplace. And as I said before, I like this model. It helps me to picture the fact that when I live to please God and I submit to the authorities around me, I'm covered. I'm covered in Christ's kingdom. There's a covering over my life that I don't have if I go out on my own and do my own thing. And like I said, about 10 years ago, someone shared this principle with me, and it radically changed my life. Because my life was falling apart, I was a believer, going through a prodigal son experience. My life just, things weren't fitting, things weren't working. And I blamed a lot of other outside forces. You know, I was a martyr, or people didn't understand, or if you only knew what I knew, you know, my freedom in Christ and all these kinds of things. Um, but my life was a mess because I didn't practice this principle. And so since then, I, I've realized the protection from spiritual, um, from, from the enemy, from Satan himself, who's out like a, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And one of the ways he picks us off is by getting us in those places where we're not surrendered, we're not willing to submit, we don't listen, we're stubborn, prideful, arrogant, self-willed. Those are the areas he can pick at us in our, in our spiritual lives. And so not that I think any of us are perfect in this. It's obviously something that I still, we all wrestle with, I wrestle with. But there's a truth here that there's protection in God's kingdom as we submit and surrender. There's freedom in this. There's fulfillment. There's peace in our homes, in our communities, churches, and workplaces. There's power in my testimony at work as I seek to honor God's authorities in my life. See, the devil is in the business of rebellion. He came to steal, kill, and destroy, to incite chaos through his self-seeking and self-will. Let's look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, and I'll give you a chance to turn there. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. So let's look at the Satan's, the original sin, which is the sin of rebellion. Satan didn't always start out as Satan. 
he was an archangel, Lucifer, a very uh, beautiful created being. And, and within this authority structure, he fit somewhere. But then it says in verse, Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 15, How you have fallen for, from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So we see Satan's fall happen because of a direct violation of authority, a challenge to God's throne, an exaltation of self. See, the archangel turned into Satan when he overreached God's authority. And Satan is still in the business of inciting rebellion today, and I know this because I'm a third grade teacher, okay? I, spent, I spend a lot of my day trying to get the kids to follow directions, to obey, to raise your hand when you want something. But it's not all about you. We have to work together. So I spend most of my day trying to rein them in. Only then can learning take place. Only then is there harmony and, and, and meaning to the things we're doing. They can be the cutest little kids, the most fun to teach, the most enthusiastic. But there are days when they can test my authority at every turn. And when they go home and get on the bus and, you know, they're all happy, I'm left in my room with a chaotic mess, papers everywhere, stuff thrown around, desk flipped upside down. No, not quite. But, but it would if I let them. You know, it would get that way. So this, this tends to be the natural bend of our hearts. We all, in some way, I think, wrestle with this. We, we like to challenge authority, even teachers. So the funny part I find in myself and others as well, you see this, is in the same breath I'm complaining about my day and these little rebellious third graders, in the same breath I can turn around and speak against my administration. Isn't that funny how that works? Or, or, or the, the classic case of the, the dad comes home from church and he's sitting at the lunch table and he says, you know, he's, that pastor, you know, he, he doesn't get it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just, he, he doesn't live in the real world. He's, what does he know? He doesn't have a regular job. Johnny, why don't you listen to me? Follow directions. See, so we have in the same breath, we challenge authority, but then we get angry at those who aren't listening to us. And so there's this, a sense of being a model, good, being a good model to those around us, bringing glory to God in the home, in our churches, in our work. So that's a little, little aside. So little selfish ambition. In third graders, and it just looks a little different in me at my job. So this self-will, we all have this, I think we wrestle with this self-will that originated in Satan. And we have this desire to oppose those in authority and, and oppose really God's kingdom and his glory. This is a rebellious spirit. It's dangerous and not wise. Look at James chapter 3. Verse 13 through 18. Give you a chance to turn there.
So it's not wise. This rebellious spirit is not wise. And James talks quite a bit about wisdom. So he says in James 3, verse 13 through 18, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So here we see these two kingdoms, God's kingdom based on authority, structure, order, and we see Satan's challenge to this kingdom in the form of rebellious, rebellion, chaos, and self-exaltation. So there's great spiritual benefits, and that's what I hope that you'll take away from today. It's not a bad thing to submit to authority. There's great spiritual benefit in following God's wisdom. And we see that further in James chapter 4, verse 6. Make sure that's right. That was off the top of my head. But. Yeah, that's right. So we see the benefit here. It says in James 4, 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it goes on to say, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So the, the blessing in this submission is that God gives us the grace we need, the power to do what he's called us to do. He causes us to be under that covering, the freedom from this satanic, rebellious spirit world that seeks to kill, destroy, devour, and we, get, we have that protection. We have that grace to do, the, su the supernatural blessing of God. I don't always know how it works. I can't always explain it, but I can testify to it in my own life. Like I said, in the past 10 years, I've seen God do some amazing things, protect me from some crazy things, and just give me blessing, favor, favor in my job, favor in my workplace. And I have to be honest, I don't think of myself as being overly intelligent. That's not why I believe God's given me various opportunities or got me my job or whatever. It, I believe it's a direct result of this principle in my life. It's not so much how capable we are. And I think that's sometimes what the world's message is. It's all about getting the right education so we you know, work up the ladder as stomping on anyone we can to get there. That's how you become great. Not in God's kingdom. It's the opposite. The way, down is, the way up is down. And we see that in various examples that we'll talk about in a minute. So do you want a platform in your job where people will listen to you? Do you want blessings, long life? then surrender, submit to God ultimately and to his authorities in your life around you. Then you will have power. Then you will have opportunities to minister. Then people will listen to you because there's something different about you. So we must be careful of this rebellious spirit. And if you've ever heard of Watchman Nee, anybody? Yeah, he's, 
I'd like to read a, a little quote from him. He wrote a book called Spiritual Authority. If anyone is interested, uh, I could let you borrow it. It's a very good book. He says um, in his book here, he's talking about in ministry, being careful to submit to God's authorities in ministry. He says, In serving God, we must not violate authorities because to do so is a principle of Satan. How can we preach Christ according to Satan's principle? Yet it is possible in our work to stand with Christ in doctrine while at the same time stand with Satan in principle. How very wicked for us to assume that we are doing the work of the Lord. Please take note that Satan is not afraid of our preaching the word of Christ, yet how very much he is in fear of our being subject to the authority of Christ. Never should we who serve God serve according to the principle of Satan. Whenever the principle according to Christ is operating, that of Satan fades away. Satan is still a usurper today. He will be cast down at the time of the end of the book of Revelation. If we would truly serve God, we must be completely purified from the principle of Satan. So there is power in this, in this principle. And so we must be aware of this, this pull um, in the world. So verse 17, let's go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. So now that we've kind of laid some groundwork for this, it says, again, the whatever you do, again, wherever you find yourself, whatever role, whatever your station in life, do it with your whole heart unto the Lord to bring glory, to reflect Him. Now one way we bring glory to Him, as I said, is honoring the authorities in our homes. In verse 18 through 21, talk about that. Now I'll read these quickly. And like I said, I won't, um, I won't talk too much about them. I'll let Rich handle some of these. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. So here we see the authority structure in the home. And I'm not going to talk much about these, as I don't have maybe as much experience as some others that can speak on this. But I will bear witness to the fact that this prescription works. If I focus on my role as a godly husband and a godly father, and I'm careful to encourage those around me rather than frustrate them, the atmosphere of my home is more Christ-centered. Other family members find it easier to fulfill their roles. God is honored and everyone benefits from the sense of peace and harmony in our home. So I'll move on. Verse 22. Oh, I'm sorry, 21. I think I skipped that one. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And then verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. So that's talking about slaves submitting to your masters. As far as I know, there aren't any slaves here today, but I believe we can draw the parallel in our society in this way. Employees, obey your employers in all things. I think we can draw that same uh, parallel. 
The New King James Version says, bondservants obey in all things your masters. So I think we can draw that parallel, but I will, I will stop and talk a little bit about slavery, a few key points. Slavery was an established institution in Rome, the Roman Empire. And many of these slaves were well-educated people who had great responsibility in the homes uh, to the point of educating children and disciplining the children. The second thing I'll say is slavery was not, is not advocated by the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. So God's will has always been that none should perish. And so his will is that in whatever circumstance, if that's a slave, then do it to bring glory to him, to spread the gospel. That's ultimately what matters, people coming to know Christ, coming to know him. And some believers throughout history have unfortunately found themselves as prisoners, as slaves, mistreated, but God still used them. Look at the, the example of Daniel. He was an Israelite and a slave in Babylon. Now, the Israelites were captured at this point, and Daniel taken to a land far away from his home in a place in a, with strange laws, strange language, uh, with an ungodly leader, King Nebuchadnezzar. Yet Daniel sought to honor the Lord by staying devoted to the Lord, as well as honoring the king in humility. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar, through Daniel's witness, acknowledged the preeminence of God, the God of the Israelites, at the end of his life, and you can read about that in Daniel. So from a social standpoint, this was horrible to enslave another culture and force them to, to your will. However, Daniel did not spend his days seeking to undermine Nebuchadnezzar and promote a rebellion among the Jewish people. God used him through his devoted service to the Lord and through the delegated authorities in his life. And through his humble submission, God raised him up to a powerful position and an advisor in Babylon, a strategic position to be used by God. And this is seen throughout. We can see this in Joseph too, sold into slavery by his brothers. He was raised up in Potiphar's household and then falsely accused and went back to prison. I would have given up by that point for sure. But then God raised him up a second time to be the second most powerful person in all of Egypt next to the Pharaoh. So the way up is down. And God used these, these people, men and women. You look at Esther, Ruth. They, God used them in their station, wherever they found themselves in life. So look, let's look. Verse 23 and verse 24 of Colossians 3 really stand out to me. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And this brings up the key to submitting to delegated authorities around us in our lives. We must not see the person within that position. We must see, in reality, that we're serving God directly and honoring Him. We must see Christ's authority first in our lives and be submitted and surrendered to that. Then this will make sense. Then it will be a little easier. It's, I don't think ever easy, per se, but a little easier. It will make sense. Look at Paul. Paul, the most probably capable uh, Israelite there was, not surrendered to Christ, 
But when he came directly in contact with the person of Jesus on the road to Damascus, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord told him to go submit to the lowly brother, Ananias? No. Ananias? Who, obscure brother somewhere, and he'll tell you what to do. Go submit. So first Paul encountered the person of Jesus, surrendered to Jesus. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? He encountered Christ. Then he was willing to go submit to this lowly brother in the, in the town because that's what God told him to do. So he was able to submit after he came encount directly encountered the person of Jesus. The other thing I like about these verses is it talks about whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord and not for men. Work at it with all your heart. There the word that stands out to me is attitude. What is our attitude toward our employer? In this case, this is the context. Even if they are an unbelieving heathen, what should our attitude be? And I think if we look at Philippians 2, verse 10 through 5, we'll see we should have the attitude of Christ. Your attitude, and it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So here we see the attitude. It's not so much in capability. You might, as an employee, be much smarter than your boss, and that's not the point here. The point is you should have that attitude of submission. To be honest, like I said, in many ways, maybe people that I am in authority over, like these third graders, you'd be amazed at the stuff they know. It's not the point that they know more than me. You just have to listen and obey right now. That's what I tell them. So it's not always about capability, but it is about our attitude. How do we approach our, our employers, our, our jobs, our bosses? Do we do it with all our heart? Do we do the right thing when no one is looking? Or do we do it just to kind of show? Now, I don't know about you, but I notice this in my job very often. When no one's looking, you're talking bad about them. You're stealing from the company in some even small way, taking supplies home, whatever. When the boss is, not, when the boss is around, it's like, oh, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look at new, the new project I'm heading up or leading or something like that. There's this, there's this real uh, striving that takes place. But if we just fix our eyes on Jesus, that I'm serving him and have the attitude of serving Christ, all that will get worked out. I don't have to worry about it. And that's what I said. That's the benefit, the blessing of submitting to those authorities as submitting to Christ because I'm free. I don't have to strive and struggle and worry and stress and fret or fear. I don't have to fear, is, he, is the boss at the door? I'm, you do the right thing. At your best, you do your best job when they're not looking. So it doesn't matter if they show up unexpected. It shouldn't matter. Now, like I said, this is something I think we all struggle in, an area we all have difficulty in. But as we put on those grace clothes, as we recognize the preeminence of Christ in our lives, this will sort of, that's where the power comes from to, to do this. As we humble ourselves, God will give us the grace to do the job that we need to do. 
We should be the best employees. We should be the most timely employees, as maybe some of us aren't always, but it's the little things, and people see that. So why is it important to honor our boss? Why, why is, so what? Why is this important? Well, if you look at 1 Timothy 6.1, it says, All who are under the yoke of slavery, and like I said, I think we can draw this parallel to employers, should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. So this is why it's important. It's all about the name of Jesus, not me. It's not about me getting ahead. It's about honoring God's name, about having the gospel promoted at my job. Not my promotion, the promotion of my testimony. And it will then have power, feet, if you will. So honor is what the, the New King James Version uses the word honor. Get, you know, show, show your, those under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full honor. And when I think of the word honor, I think of going beyond just doing the job. I think of treating them as special, doing more than what's expected, and having a good attitude about it. And this is the secret to fulfillment. If you want true spiritual fulfillment, if you do this, God will honor you. As you show honor, God will honor you. Another key place, and as I'm thinking about this, this one stuck out to me because this one, this one I have difficulty with. How about our tongues at work? What's funny is that my job, the proper conduct of a Christian, is actually widely known. So if I gossip about my boss or slander someone or lose my temper, people are actually surprised because they know I'm marked as a believer. If I said I'm a believer, I'm marked. I'm stamped with the image of Christ. They know that. So that's one that we have to, we have to think about that too. That's kind of an area where the Lord convicts me a lot. Our negativity Things like that. So there are a few practical ways. I kind of talked about the tongue, how we can use our tongue, how we can do a good job. Ultimately, we're looking to reflect God's image to give Him glory. You can look at number 16. I have this in my notes, but you can write this down. Number 16, uh, verse 13 through 14. Numbers 16, verse 13 through 14, talks a little bit about a rebellion in the Old Testament against Moses. Because sometimes our arguments or our complaints have validity. And the people in Numbers, Korah, this person Korah kind of stirred people up. And he said something to the effect of, Look, you brought us out here in the desert. We have no food. We have no water. Things are better in Egypt. What, what in the world are you doing? You're leading us into, you know, nowhere. And sometimes your complaints are reasonable. They might make sense. But it's a, an issue of our heart and an issue of our perspective. See, the people were in, Israel, in the desert because of their own fault. So one question, I think, before you start complaining, maybe ask, how am I contributing to this problem at my work? How am I contributing to the solution? Because if Korah, this person in the Old Testament, would have stopped and thought about it, he could have looked inward at himself and blamed himself and, and, and the people's rebellion. That's why they were in the desert. 
Not, it wasn't Moses' fault necessarily. So sometimes our complaints have validity. But how are we contributing to the problem and how are we contributing to solving the problem? And this can be caustic in our jobs, as you, as you well know. The negativity around us is very contagious. And sometimes we look like we're in our grave clothes rather than our grace clothes. But God will give us grace as we humble ourselves to do the job. Now, another thing I'll just mention is we do have freedom. Because we're not slaves in our society, we have freedom to leave an employer. We have the freedom to do so. We actually have three options with our employer. We can stay and try to respectfully and patiently contribute to solving the problems around us with grace, with humility. We can stay and, and submit, or we can leave on good terms. It's not an option to stay with a bad attitude and stir up dissension, talking back, and gossip. That's not our grace clothes. That's our grave clothes, if you know what I mean. So in conclusion, we see that our lives should reflect God's image, and we should live for his glory. That's where we started. And one key way we do this is by recognizing the, his preeminence and honoring the authorities in our lives. That brings him glory because it reflects his kingdom, his order. There are a few forms of delegated authority that we talked about in the home, the workplace, and the church. And God is honored when we show honor. Whatever, in whatever station we find ourselves, God is honored as we honor our authorities in those arenas. We also talked about being aware of the, that rebellious spirit, being careful, steering clear of that rebellious spirit that it was in Satan and so often is at work today. And this, and the, uh, next, we talked about when we serve in delegated authorities, when we serve in our jobs, if we work at it as unto the Lord, we're bringing direct honor to God. If we look at just... Take away that person, because character flaws are in every human, and any boss, any authority has character flaws. If we focus on those, we'll justify our decision to come out from under those authorities. But if we can see beyond that person and see the person of Christ, to see that we're, in, a fact, in, in fact, honoring him, and even more, actually brings him greater honor when that person doesn't deserve it. That actually brings him greater honor because it shows where our hearts are, where our attitudes are. And finally, this is only possible through the word of Christ dwelling in us rich, richly and along with the power of the Spirit working to accomplish this in us, the grace close. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is a, a mouthful and really um, just something that you've taught me, Lord, in my life. And I, I just want those here, Lord, just to know the blessing, the peace, the freedom that comes in submitting to you and submitting to those around us. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever station of life, Lord, I just pray that you might work in us to demonstrate your glory and your power and your kingdom in our workplace, in our homes, our church, our communities. God, help us when we, I know for me, when I think to complain, Lord, just remind me of these verses. Lord, help me to see that 
I might be the only example of your image at my work. Lord, we, we need your grace. We humble ourselves. We submit to your authority. We pray that you would allow us to surrender to those authorities around us. Lord, that we would humbly pray for those leaders in our lives. And all of us demonstrate some kind of position of authority, whether as parents or within our communities, we all represent your authority in some way. And I pray that you would help us to represent your authority well, that we would take these jobs of delegate, that you've delegated to us as parents, as husbands, as children in, in various ways, wives. Lord, help us to represent you in these different arenas we find ourselves. I pray you'd bless the team in Nicaragua. Thank you that they're doing well. And we just pray your word would go forth in our lives, that it would dwell in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.